we got our last week of the Samson series. Um, Tim's going to be bringing it. It's going to be really cool. Um, I've been absolutely enjoying this series. It's really, it, it's really interesting. Samson's a really weird character, um, tying tales of foxes and whatnot. Um, so uh, if I could welcome Pastor Tim uh, to bring the word. Awesome. All right, everyone. Stand to your feet. Samson's a hard character to keep up with, so we're going to have to amp up our energy a little bit, all right? Sound good? And you've kept me with like plenty of dance room today, so I'm excited about that, you know, this is looking good. Um, all right, so we're going to do a big cheer for God, just to, just to say, hey God, we're here. I love that. I love that, all right? We do it on three. One, two, three. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your word and your church and your Sabbath, this holy day of us gathering just to rest in you, God. And Lord, I thank you for Samson, God. I pray, Father, that we will just get all of the meat out of this preach today, Father, and that uh, this, this season that we've been in walking with Samson, Lord, that we will dearly remember it and learn what we need to learn. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, grab a seat. I've been waiting for one year to preach this series to you. One year I've had Samson on my heart and I just knew that I, uh, that I had to wait. It's funny, uh, Denny said to me this morning, he said, he said, oh, you were waiting for me. <laughs> he said he's been getting a lot from it. So I thought that was pretty cool. Hey, we, we've been rolling clips at the start every week. We're going to roll one now. What a powerful scene from the Christian author C.S. Lewis. Today is redemption, the fourth and final act of fury. Previously in fury, a fallen Nazarite hero, Samson, sought comfort from his troubles in a Philistine brothel, leaving the city guards to plan an ambush. In spite of his rebellious actions, Samson was woken in the middle of the night by the Holy Spirit, who inspires him to tear the frame of the 500 kilogram city gate off the wall and carry it to the top of a hill some 70 kilometers away. Remember this? Providing a most random spectacle for us passers by, a doorway to heaven, as it were. Next minute, Samson's back at it, falling for Delilah, who in turn falls for the Philistine ruler's promise of $100,000 for the secret to Samson's supernatural strength. Samson tricks Delilah and the Philistines three times. Nevertheless, he does eventually reveal his secret, which is where we now rush back into the scene. Part one, the I, the I, and the I, I. Judges 16, 21. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. I love my eyes, people. 
I love them. Personally, I think that eyes are probably the most beautiful part to a human's body. I remember when I was studying visual art, people would always get the trap of, uh, of drawing people was they'd always get stuck on the eyes, you know? And you'd walk by some people, like sometimes there'd be a model and you're meant to do the whole thing. Sometimes you've only got 10 minutes and you'd walk by some people and one hour later, they're still doing an one eye <laughs> because they're so beautiful. They're so entrancing. Each person's eyes have 256 unique identifiers just for your eye. Two million working parts. And they're the second most complex organ in your body apart from your brain. In fact, it takes half your brain put to work for your eyes just to process your sight. And that constitutes a massive 80% of everything that you'll ever learn. Your eye is the fastest and most active muscle in your body. Hence the common phrase, in the blink of an eye. Every millisecond, your eye flickers around, taking thousands of images in millions of colors, and then it pieces it together into one singular image. But for all your eyes' fantastic beauty, design, complexity, did you know they actually see the world upside down? Did you know that? And it, they leave it up to your brain to flip things around and put things the right way. Likewise, morally, your eyes see everything upside down and it's the role of your soul to put things right they say the eyes are the window of the soul don't they and it's true that we seek emotional connection through eye contact psychologists say from the moment we're born we're seeking fellow human beings, our mothers, whoever we can find. We're seeking eye contact for intimacy and connection. In 1975, Bill Gates poignantly branded his computer company Windows. Windows, prophesying digital connection's ability to look into private lives. I wonder how many of us, like Samson, have looked through the wrong windows this week and let God knows what into our souls. Like this generation, Samson worshipped his eyes and he made the age-old mistake of marrying looks with moral goodness. I want to say... Uh, I want to say a Beatles lyric here, but do you want me to say it or do you want me to sing it? <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to need you. That's an easy question, isn't it? I'm going to need you to help by clicking. 
He roller coaster he got, early warning he got, muddy water he won, mojo filter he said, one, one, and one is three. Got to be good looking cause you're so hard to see. Come together right now over me. <laughs> Things are better when you sing them. <laughs> in other words, you got to look good because there's no goodness in you. Samson would only accept the very best for himself, the best clothes, the best food, the hottest girlfriends, a hundred thousand followers on Instagram want to be him. Honey looks good, eat. Honeys look good, sex. Doesn't matter how rotten the insides. The world says, I'll believe it when I see it. Well, church, I haven't seen your physical brains. But call me foolish, but I'm speaking here today because I have faith in your intelligence. Au contraire to the world, God says, seek and you will find. Further still, the eye is a lamp, not a passive victim a helpless receiver of light, rather a powerful giver of the light that God placed inside you, a giver of light. Back to the very earliest of creation. See, anyone with eyes can see a problem, but only those with vision can fix a problem, can teach others to fix a problem. So are you under vision? I'll leave that one with you. The only rule of the Roman Colosseum was no eye gouging. The only rule. This is a barbaric civilization, no morals by looks of things, but no eye gouging. It's the origins of the famous phrase, it's all fun and game until someone loses an eye. Samson had to learn that one the hard way. Of all the countless ways God could have punished Samson, he gouged out his eyes. Why? Why fight dirty, God? Because let's face it, Samson had always been blind. He'd lived blind. Pinballed his way around his calling. And Samson refused to learn from anything except flesh. Therefore, God turned Samson's life inside out for all to see his disgusting spirit now physically manifest he'd wasted his life chasing tail going round and round in circles 
as tiresome as manually milling grain. We see here the fruit of his actions. See, what is the use of grinding down the grain if you're never going to cook with it? What point is there to that? What use is there to your life of experiences if you're never going to extract their heavenly meanings? What point? What point is there to sight if you can't see nothing? I imagine being Samson after all that has happened, lifting up those heavy chains and feeling that empty place where my eyes used to be, unable even to cry. You know, scientists still can't tell you why a human being cries. Did you know that? They can't even tell you why a human being cries. They, they, they know this, that tears are to clean our eyes. Yet again, they fail to see the parable that our suffering should clear our vision. Part two, stretching. Judges 16, 23 to 24. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God. Our God has delivered our enemies into our hands, the one who laid waste our land. Aha! So the Philistines will admit that Samson laid waste to them. Where was Dagon, the Philistinic merman idol? He's a mermaid. Where was his water when Samson was setting fire to their entire food supply? <gasps> Isn't this a laughable God? It's all right. You can laugh at their God. More like a demon of lust. More like a demon of greed. False idols. Scoff. But perhaps more to the point, where is God's people Israel now that by their own admission, the Philistines have been defeated? They've been laid waste to. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? Their, their ruler, their judge, the chosen man of God has been captured. Philistines' entire food supply, their entire army has been laid waste to. So where's God's people? Why are the Philistines even here? I don't understand. This gets me frustrated. What we're seeing here is the cowardice and the complicity of those that are supposed to be God's people failing to speak, failing to lift a finger, relying on the most problematic of heroes, Samson. This is why Samson was sent to these people. These people can't even defeat a defeated people. They're not doing nothing. 
Just wait, wait, wait. This gets me furious. Where's the fury, people? Judges 16, 25 to 27. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men, men and women watching Samson perform. The once endlessly proud, unstoppable Samson reduced to this. A shaved lion, a circus clown trophy. Once upon a time, Samson lifted a 500 kilogram gait. Now he could barely lift his own head. In his prime, the sheer sight of this fella would have sent his enemies fleeing in terror. Now they spat on him, beat him, mocked him, berated him. This is where Satan wants you. Visionless, pathetic, unlovable, failure, waste of space. But why Samson? I've got to tell you, if I was Satan, I would have motivational pictures, posters of Samson up in hell's lobby. <laughs> I would chase that feeling. Why is Satan determined to stop Samson of all people? The one that so closely resembles him. And the only reason I can think is that so closely does he resemble him that he is blind to God's plan of redemption. Satan is blind, doesn't know what he's doing. He's a joke. He's a Dagon. It's all right. You can laugh at Satan. Don't have to be scared of him. We can laugh at him. Judges 16.26. Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. The temple he was in represents the strength of the Philistines, a monument to their God. These pillars, although only a small part of a building, like an eye, represent the temple's strength. Samson's vice for Philistine women had unbalanced his life it had stretched his identity like a charged conduit between two ideological pillars. God, man. Israelite, Philistine. Lover, fighter. Sinner, saint. Hero, villain. Vain, blind man. Hypocritical judge. There's a problem He's joining things that shouldn't be joined, isn't he? This is a marriage of things that just is doomed to fail. Part three, 
towards the light, stretched between those ideological pillars. Samson now does something unfathomably powerful. He prays. He speaks to God. And despite all of his sin and his shame, this humbled heart cry cuts straight through the divide between earth and divine. It transports Samson directly into the presence of God. That's prayer. It's a powerful thing. The creator of the universe hears you, and all you have to do is have the right heart. That's powerful. So powerful. Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me once more and let me with one final blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. And then Samson, he reached out toward those central pillars and bracing himself against them, he begins to push. Pause. They say your life flashes before your eyes as you head towards the light at the end of your life. Those moments, a boy leaning into his faithful mother with her shimmering hands, her hair and gentle hands teaching him to pray. A youth spying his first love, sharing deep looks and sultry smiles. A man tasting honey, celebrating victory over a wild lion. Dancing and laughing in the warmth of light and the vitality of a freshwater spring. Rainbows cascading. Samson was prophesied by an angel to be Israel's saviour and a Nazarite from the womb. Set apart for God by fasting, alcohol, unclean foods, haircuts and death. And according to number six, when a Nazarite comes to the end of their vow, they are to present themselves at the temple with a sin offering a burnt offering, and a peace offering. But I want to focus on the peace offering. A ram ram without blemish and unleavened loaves of fine flour mixed with oil. The Nazarite's hair at the end of their vow is to be shaved off and it is to be placed upon the flame of the peace offering. And that's all to take place at the threshold of the temple. And then the Nazarite is to hold in one of his hands the boiled shoulder of the ram and in the other hand one of the pieces of the bread. And is to hold them along with the priest. They're to be there hand in hand holding these things. And they are to do what sounds ridiculous but is called a wave offering. So basically, they hold them in their hands together as a team, and they shake them before God. Hello, God. 
Go bring some of this stuff back into the church. I'd love to see one of you do that. I think that'd be great. Thus, in this act, the priest, the Nazarite, and the offering, they become conjoined. They become indistinguishable from one another through sacrifice. See it? Now hold on to that. As we return back to the traumatic present, Samson, betrayed by his Philistine wives, stripped of power by God, eyes gouged out, hands bound to the pillars of their pagan temple where he is mocked for entertainment. In this moment, after four weeks of being with Samson, i got to tell you that the judge in me wants to gloat. I want to say, see what happens when you rebel against God. But then how come in this moment right now, as Samson suffers the consequence of his actions, all I can see is the face of Jesus. Like Samson, God married himself to sinful humanity and was betrayed by the very people he'd come to save. Like Samson, God metaphorically cut his hair in becoming a mere mortal, only to have us strip him, stretch him out upon a cross to mock and to crucify him. But like Jesus... Samson could not be held down. Come on, round of applause. Could not be held down. Give God a round of applause. There's some things in church that when you say it, you got to cheer it. Not for you, but to demonstrate your heart before God. When we talk about God's victory, I'm not going to be like those darn Israelites that couldn't lift a finger, the very least I'm going to do is cheer God on. Huh? Amen? Amen. Good. We're on the same page. Gee, Samson could not be held down. That's right. The enemy had failed to decode the messianic prophecy of the Nazarite, whose vow is graciously restored through sacrifice. Thus, Samson is the cheese, and this entire scene is one giant, God-sized mousetrap. <laughs> Samson pushed with all his might, and the temple came crashing down upon the rulers and the Philistines, killing more in death than he ever did in life. In one fell blow, God defeated Satan, the Philistines, death itself, so that he could restore peace and free us from the consequences of our sin. So that we can enjoy relationship with Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, the honey of his promises of heaven at last. This is the paradox 
of our salvation that our good God sacrificed his perfect son simultaneously compromising and confirming his divinity so that even Samson, even me, even you can be transfigured into the person of Jesus. For the last four weeks, we've been riding shotgun with Samson, the OG ride or die man himself. It's been a, it's been a crazy ride, people, hasn't it? <laughs> Wild stuff. From cradle to the grave, through promise, controversy, betrayal, now redemption. We've seen his life up close and personal. The good, the bad, the ugly, the bold and the beautiful. It's felt like an episode of Bold and the Beautiful sometimes. (laughs) Bit soapy. (laughs) But now we're faced, before we finish up, we are faced with the difficult task of deciphering what Samson's life was actually about, besides Samson, that is. Goodness knows he tried to make it about Samson. For starters, Samson is a counterpoint to modern apathy. This fella had more passion in his little finger than some of us will ever have in our entire life. Samson did everything 1,000 miles per hour. He spoke with fury. He loved with fury. He fought with fury. He grieved with fury. However, redemption only came after Samson had exhausted all his formidable strength and he'd come to the end of himself. You ever been to the end of yourself? Like the Grand Canyon, just gone to the edge and looked in and thought, I wonder what's in there. (laughs) That would hurt if I fell down there. (laughs) I've been to the end of myself, people. I remember, I'll never forget when I was studying counselling and there was this fella that lived furiously. Every week in group therapy, he'd come in and he'd just spill his guts. He'd just speak and speak and speak, word vomit everywhere, take control of the whole room. And he used to say it to everyone. He used to gloat about it. He used to say, I'm controlling this whole scene. I'm telling everybody what's for. You're all just looking at me. He used to say that, this fella. And yet one week he came to the end of himself. And he said, he said, I feel like I'm just an empty suit of armor. And that's it. There's nothing inside. This fellow was crying. There's nothing inside. Not supposed to live that way, people. So let me tell you, next, Samson is the entry point of the world into the church. And a warning to today's silent church. To any who would say, I'm empty. I am too bad, too broken, unlovable, irredeemable. The lads, the skanks, the man-childs. To them I give you Samson. 
Samson is God laughing at the love of the flesh. You ate the apple. You wanted God-like power. Well, here it is. Take a look in the mirror. We are Samson. That's the fruit of that sin, that original sin, that desire to be above God. This is a man with God-like strength. Yet how did it work out for him? You know, for all the strength in the world, you can't make people see something. You can't make people love you. And yet, in your weakness, you are unconditionally loved by the only true love. And his name is Jesus. Why, we're all here today. So then, stop marrying yourself to Philistinic Australia. Stop binding yourself to its ideological pillars of wealth, of knowledge, of the PCBS. And be furiously faithful to Jesus. Till death do us part, right? Till death do us part. Because I swear to God that living life hand in hand with Jesus... It's the only true peace. It's the only true freedom. I love, this is one of the smallest details of this story, but I love that it was the grace of the lowly servant. Remember the servant charged with holding Samson's hand, who he requested to guide him to the pillar? I love that it was the grace of that lowly servant that led him to the pillars, just as the priest in the law led the Nazarite to peace, restoration, and freedom. I see Jesus in that servant. I see Jesus everywhere. With whatever little strength you are given, I'll get you to stand to your feet. With whatever little strength you've been given, it is not to dominate, but to come under vision, to step into your calling, believing, connecting, serving, and multiplying, so others may live, and God will win. God will win. Now close your eyes. I want to tell you something. Close your eyes. (gasps) With sharp inhale, Samson awoke as if from a dream. Scared to believe, he reaches for his face, hands trembling. And for the first time in such a long time, he feels eyes, his own precious eyes, restored, and he weeps. He weeps and weeps with such sweet sorrow to feel tears again like wellsprings after an endless cave of despair. And after what feels like a lifetime, gentle hands grasp his own. They uncover his face. They wipe away his tears, every last one. 
And as Samson stares into the kindest eyes he'd ever known, he knew in an instant this was the one. The one that he was supposed to be. The love and acceptance that he'd been chasing all along. The gate he'd been carrying but need carry no more. The fury was over. Samson was home. Isn't that nice, people? Isn't that how the story should end? I want to give you the opportunity right now to be like Samson and to do the right thing, to open your eyes and to see that you need Jesus. If you need to see Jesus' face today, if you need to know that he's been waiting for you there all along to step into your calling, I'll get you to raise your hand. See those hands? That's great. That's great. Step out, people. Step out. Lord, we thank you, Father. We thank you that your narrative, your story is bigger than our story. And no matter how far we try to take things into our own hands, it all comes back to Jesus. Lord, I pray that from this furious series that we've been talking about, God, that we might remember our first love of you that we might remember the fight that you've put inside us, Father, so that we can keep fighting the good fight, keep living the good life. And Lord, that we might be like you, be hand in hand with you, walk with you, live with you, love with you, Father, be free with you, God. Bless you, church. Thank you for being a part of the Fury series. I've loved every second of it. What a story. It's God's story. Now let's sing our praise to God. Let's finish it strong, Samson style.